Welcome to The Referral. I'm Dr. Curran, a surgeon in the UK. This is the podcast to go to if you want actionable, evidence-based information to help improve your life. On today's podcast episode, we're going to be talking about invisible conditions. Now, it's very likely that today, if you've been out and about, you've been walking past people who suffer with this condition, inflammatory bowel disease. This is an umbrella term for bowel conditions like ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. And today, we're going to be joined by Misha Moinerad, also known as Mr. Colitis Crohn's online. And he has almost 5.5 million followers across all social media platforms. And we're going to be talking about how to navigate life with a stoma, how to live a fuller life with a chronic invisible condition. I had to change the way I viewed my body and how I viewed a stoma. And like you said, it's enabled me and not disabled me. And obviously you'll get your chance to ask me a question in crowd science. If you've got a question you want me to answer, head over to theresurralpod.com and shoot me a message. And excitingly, I'm going to be answering even more of your questions on Crowd Science Extra. Just head over to the referral show page on Apple Podcasts and hit try free to start your free trial today. And also coming up, we've got If It Ducks Like a Quack. This is a segment where I completely decimate these nonsense myths that you see online. But first, we have what the health. Let's take a quick look at what's going on in the world of medicine, science, and health. What the health? I've got news for you. President Joe Biden sleeps with a long tube protruding from his face. To be honest, I really don't know why this made the news, but when he was giving a press conference, reporters noticed that President Joe Biden had these red marks on his face. And these marks were in keeping with possibly Joe Biden using a CPAP device, a continuous positive airway pressure device that someone would typically use if they have obstructive sleep apnea, which is a medical condition which billions of people actually suffer from and it's often underdiagnosed or misdiagnosed where they repeatedly stop breathing overnight. It's sort of a Darth Vader type mask where your entire nose and mouth is covered and it gently pumps air in through your mouth and helps you with your sleep. And considering he had the marks when it was noticed suggests that he was probably using the CPAP device all night, which is what you're meant to do. Often people with obstructive sleep apnea you know, wake up at some point during the night and they take off the mask and they don't use the device for the entirety of the night, which can actually affect their REM sleep. It can make them feel more groggy and tired when they wake up in the morning and they can get lots of daytime lethargy and sleepiness. So if you have obstructive sleep apnea and you've been prescribed a CPAP sleeping mask, you need to wear it all night. And there's a myth that only people who are obese or significantly overweight have obstructive sleep apnea. And there's actually lots of things which can lead to it, including the size of your tongue, increasing age, the shape of your face even. And clearly President Joe Biden is not significantly overweight. So yeah, maybe Joe Biden can destigmatize the use of CPAP machines and you know raise more awareness about it. So if you've been listening to any news over the past couple of weeks, you've more than likely heard about the Titan submersible, which went down to see the Titanic shipwreck and the you know tragedy that followed after that, where the submersible imploded and um, these people lost their lives. I've had a few messages from people online asking me about how they lost their life and if they felt any pain while the submersible collapsed or imploded. 
Now, this is quite a sensitive topic, but from a purely biological standpoint, there is some science which may help explain why they probably didn't feel any pain. So to process pain, our brain requires around 100 milliseconds to actually, you know, process that sensory information about pain. And to process the visual inputs, our eyes need about 13 milliseconds. The implosion, we are led to believe, took less than one millisecond. So it's likely for these people in the submersible, it was instant light out without any knowledge of it, without any pain. Hello, listeners of The Referral. It's me, Dr. Curran. Are you tired of scouring the internet for medical answers only to end up on shady websites? Is your For You page full of TikTok experts pushing miracle weight loss drugs and superfoods? There's so many myths and nonsensical health advice out there on the internet. But on our weekly crowd science episodes, I'm helping real listeners like you get the truth. Subscribe to the Referral Plus and you'll get access to additional crowd science episodes every week devoted entirely to answering your questions. Plus, as an added bonus, you'll enjoy ad-free listening of all our episodes. You can even try it for free. Just head over to the referral show page on Apple Podcasts and click on the Try Free button at the top of the page to start listening today. Have a question of your own? Visit thereferralpod.com and submit it. There is no question too weird or too awkward for me. So what are you waiting for? Don't let the internet deceive you. Subscribe now to the Referral Plus and start getting answers today. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Today's guest, Mr. Kalitis Krohn's Misha Moynrad, is an inspiring person. This man almost lost his life at the hands of inflammatory bowel disease, and he was saved and he was given a stoma, which gave him a new lease of life. He is an incredible influencer and inspiration to people out there living with invisible conditions, with chronic conditions, and certainly with stomas in the way that he basically does everything and anything he wants to. And today, I want to speak to Misha about how to live life to the fullest with a stoma. Misha, thank you very much for joining me here. I started TikTok in 2019. And then I think very early 2020, I started following you and you know we were both following each other. What were you doing on TikTok and what do you do online? So like yourself, I started pushing short form video content in 2019 in lockdown yeah. because I couldn't do my job. So I thought, where can I put my energy? And it was social media. I really lent into that. And the idea for me creating content, and it still lives within the ethos of what I do, is to help people. It's to help people that have got a medical condition like me and are living with an invisible condition. But it's also to educate people that haven't got it and don't understand it. So every day I create content around the raw reality of what I'm going through with a stoma. 
Yeah, no, that's brilliant. And you're improving directly people's awareness, but also health literacy of people with stomas as well. Yeah, it's getting people to understand the little things and the tips and tricks and also empowering them to show, you know, you have got this, but it's not a limitation. It's something that you can do amazing things with still. You just need to be strong enough and almost mentally resilient enough to take those steps in the right direction. A lot of people have no idea what a stoma is. You know, it's literally an opening, usually on the surface of the skin on their tummy, where a piece of your intestine often is brought out to the surface of your skin to divert feces or urine or other waste matter. You have that, but just looking at you, the average person on the street would not know. How did you come to have a stoma? So my journey kind of started in 2013. I was at university studying high-performance coaching and nutrition, like just a normal student, going out five or six times a week, drinking a lot. And I just started to feel a bit unwell. just wasn't well at all. Yeah. Um, I had three GPs come and visit me at home, and they actually diagnosed me with gastroenteritis, which is essentially a stomach bug. Yeah, yeah, and an infection, inflammation of your bowel. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I kind of thought, okay, I'll listen to my doctors. This is what it is. And left it um, a following week. And in this time, I was being sick a lot. I was bringing up a lot of bile. I was just really feeling unwell. My dad come and took one look at me and was like, we're going to the hospital right now. So obviously he could see something was a little oh. bit more than what my body was giving on. Yeah. So we went to the hospital after that week. And I got to the reception desk at Southampton General. Yeah. I remember looking straight into the receptionist's eyes, sort of explaining what was going on, and I just passed out. Jeez. I actually knocked one of my teeth out on the floor. Um, I was put into an induced coma for about three and a half weeks. And at that point, I was given about 20%. So it was a real touch-and-go time for me in terms of my health. So when you were in a coma, you still hadn't had an operation? No. So my health was in a really good place before that. And basically what had happened, I actually had a ruptured appendix. So that was the first sort of battle I had with anything medical in my life. And then it was only following that after I woke up and recovered after the, I'd say probably eight to nine months after that initial surgery that I actually recovered. And then I started getting symptoms of bowel disease. Wow. And what the doctors said is because I was so inflamed inside yeah. and I was getting put down to theatre for eight or nine hours a day over the course of that coma, they were taking all of my stuff out, washing it, and then backpacking it back oh. in position, so and then I would go back. I mean, by the sounds of it, I don't know your specific surgical details, but it sounds like you had a laparotomy, so a big cut in the middle of your tummy literally opening you up like a suitcase, so through the skin, through the muscle, into your abdominal cavity, and your intestines were out on show. And eventually, once you were diagnosed with Crohn's colitis, mm -hmm. you had your entire colon removed. Exactly that. So I tried medication for around four years, and it just didn't actually give me any relief. I couldn't live day by day, really. I was so ill all the time. So in 2016, I thought, I've had enough of this. Something needs to change. Is my life right now sustainable in the way that I'm living? No. So I opted to go for a stoma. So you now have an ileostomy. So a piece of your small intestine coming out through your skin where it you know, collects the waste. And 
I think that is the thing right there. For you, an ileostomy has not just been an improvement of your quality of life, because mm-hmm. you're thriving now. I mean, you are one of the most successful people that I've met on social media. But, you know, it's also been life-saving as well for you. Yeah, it's a lot about perspective. Yeah. Initially, when I was, you know, in my early 20s and was told that I needed a stoma bag, uh, I didn't want to be here anymore. Yeah. I thought, I can't do this. I can't cope with this. It's... um. It's making me feel alien and isolated within my condition, which I feel a lot of patients go through, a lot of the ones that I communicate with. And I had to change the way I viewed my body and how I viewed a stoma. And like you said, it's enabled me and not disabled me. And as soon as I could flip my perspective on that, it meant that I could actually move forward with my life and try and make something with it. Yeah, you know, often... When I'm consenting patients for emergency surgeries, sometimes I have to mention if it's especially emergency bowel surgery, you can never predict what happens in emergency bowel surgery. If something happens, we might need to quickly sort things out and bail you out and you might need an emergency stoma or in some cases you might even have a planned stoma. And the young patients that I've come across, it's a huge mental barrier and a couple of patients across the years have actually cried at the thought, just me mentioning the word stoma because it's got Mm -hmm. so much stigma attached to it that they've got this exteriorized piece of intestine sticking out and they're thinking about all the various things. And we can talk about it. You know, when someone has a stoma, it's not just the look, but it's how am I going to have sex? How am Mm -hmm. I going to open up to my loved one? How am I going to be in a relationship? How am I going to function? Now, you've, um, you know, you've got a fiance now. You recently proposed. Congratulations. Come back from Maldives. But when you had a stoma first, were you single with a stoma and then got into a relationship? Or were you already going out with this person pre-stoma? No. So I think one of the things, going back to what you said earlier about that sort of like an instant negative association with having something different on your body, I think the thing with a stoma is it's taught very much end of line. Yeah. So doctors, medical professionals often say, if things don't go right, you'll need a stoma, yeah. which in a patient's mind or anyone's mind... It's it already makes, categorized as negative. Yeah. Seems like a bad thing. So then you've you've planted the seed there that it's a bad thing. So immediately, whenever you talk about that now, it's going to be a negative thing. And that's why I try and show online that it's not, it's not the it's end. It's a positive. Yeah, yeah it's, it's an opening. It's a new start. It's a fresh beginning. I guess like, you know, all those things that you spoke about from, um, am I going to be able to um, continue with my work, mm. relationships, all of those things, like they're definitely impacted. You have to be careful. I have to be mindful of things I do because I'm at a risk of opening up other medical problems like herniations and prolapses and all those things. But in terms of like sex and and people being able to do normal things, it's completely like anyone else. It's the same thing. It's just a small bag on your stomach. Um, I always say to people that ask me about relationships and stuff like that, if you find the right person, they'll love you for you. Yeah, absolutely. They're, They're not interested about whether you've got a stoma or whether you're missing an arm or whether you've got a medical condition. It's it's part of you, right? I think in a very, very strange way that it's almost an incredible discriminator of someone who really loves you. Mm, yeah, it's a amazing filter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you can just filter off anyone who, um, you know, has She's a negative interested. association and not interested. She knew what she was getting into as such because I've always been, from the minute I started social media, yeah. very open. Oh, yeah 
honest and yeah. showed my reality, right? Yeah, 100%. And that's that's why, you know, we started following each other and we did lots of stuff about stomas. And um, what I wanted to ask is, obviously, going back to your history where you were suffering with this, you know, weeks of tummy pain and you were diagnosed with a ruptured appendix and it took a while for you to be diagnosed. And this is something, not to this extent that you experienced, but this is something I see quite often. I will do clinics with bowel patients who've got bowel problems, diarrhea, constipation, abdominal pain, bloating. And a lot of patients I see as a general surgeon, they have been self-diagnosed with IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, or their GP or someone has told them they've got irritable bowel syndrome, maybe just looking up online or based on just symptoms. And I see them and I'm thinking you could easily have inflammatory bowel disease, which encompasses Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. If you have symptoms like you experience, maybe unexpected weight loss or changing your bowel habit to diarrhea or constipation, bleeding, get it checked out and don't just say it's IBS. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many months or weeks before you went to hospital did you have symptoms for? That's a really good question. So because of stuff like, I remember very vividly, looking on the edge of the buses and yeah. the underground of the um, cancer awareness post. Yeah. If you're losing blood, yeah. you know, come forward, go and see a doctor. It was almost too scary for me to do that. So I probably left it longer than I should. So you, you probably had symptoms for months before. Mm, yeah, and I left it because I was just worried. Like, I think quite often as a patient and as a person you kind of see the medical industry as against you as opposed to yeah. for you. Yeah. So you're you're scared because you know that there could be the news that comes to you. You know, you've got the big C. Devastating news, yeah. Yeah, but the fact of the matter is, the quicker you act upon something like that, yeah. a lot of these conditions are very treatable. That's it. So it's kind of like making sure that you do go forward. And I had loads of testing. I had, you know, more fingers than I've got on my hands in mm. my bum, um, which isn't yeah. fun. But, you know, it's part of looking after yourself. Yeah. And the more that we talk about this and open up the conversation and show the realities, it destigmatizes, but also takes away the fear. And yeah. I think that's one of the biggest things. If someone can watch one of my videos and say, say, you know, actually having a stoma isn't as scary as it looks, going for these tests isn't as scary as it looks, they could come forward sooner and it could save their life or yeah. give them more longevity in their life. I mean, you were a fitness professional before your surgery. You still are a fitness professional now, as well as a huge influencer. And you you deadlift, you lift heavy weights. What's your take on weightlifting, strenuous activity after stoma surgery and a major abdominal surgery? So when I was in hospital again, and remember this clear as day, there was a nurse that came in to see me and she said, you will never have a physical job again. Yeah, so that was literally the words she said. There was also another nurse at the same time that said, you're never going to have a six-pack like Peter Andre. Jeez. And I was like, you know, there's certain things you don't say to a young bloke who's just come off the back of a massive surgery who was really into their health and yeah. fitness, and they're led there at about five and a half stone. a really stone. weird thing to say. Really Strange weird. thing to say. But instead of me looking at that and seeing it as something like, maybe she's right, I'm not going to do anything like this, it actually turned something on in me it's where I'm thinking, I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's exactly what I'd done, you know. Um, before stepping into social media full-time and having my businesses within social media now, I... Um, was a rehab coach. Yeah. So if you had a triple heart bypass, a hip replacement, a knee replacement, a stoma fitted, you would come to the clinic that I was at and then I would rehab you back to full health, yeah. either like pre-operative, post-operative. So 
I know anatomy and physiology and the body and how amazing the body can be. Yeah. Um, and I've always pushed those boundaries, but safely. So I know that I'm at a higher risk of a prolapse or a herniation. Yeah. I know that I can be more fatigued than the average person sometimes. Yeah. The reality is, I'm although I've got a stoma now, it's not the end of my journey. It's just another part of my journey. It doesn't mean I'm cured. No. And that's what I try and express to people that, you know, getting a stoma isn't always clean sailing for everyone. It's not going to work for everyone because yeah. like you said, surgery comes with complications and you've got to be aware of that. But for me, I've been lucky enough to sort of get through it quite complication-free. I mean, that's the thing. With Crohn's disease, as of right now in 2023, there is no cure we can help to reduce symptoms and sometimes it can, uh, you know, go into quiescence where it just quietens down to a point where you may have minimal symptoms, but it's a chronic condition mm -hmm. which we can manage with removing pieces of bowel, etc. But actually, there's no curable thing for it. And you mentioned the prolapse and the herniation, and that's what I wanted to talk about with you specifically. You know, from my own experience, the literature and speaking to all my colleagues, colorectal surgeons... I don't want to say 100%, but I would say the majority, if not close to 100% of people with stomas will have a parastomal hernia, which means a, a hernia, something from the inside of their abdomen, poking out next to their stoma. Mm -hmm. Have you experienced that and with people that you coach and rehab? So I'm very lucky in the fact that I haven't got one, even yeah. though I lift and stuff. But obviously, I designed a brace myself, yeah, yeah. which I wear religiously. I've got one on right now. Yeah. So I wear it all day, every day, particularly when I'm training and stuff. Um, but like you said, the percentages are on the bad side of that happening. Yeah. And you can't control everything within your health. There's, that's the fact of the matter is you can do as much as you can, but you can get a hernia or a prolapse like that from sneezing, yeah. coughing. Most patients I speak to, that's how they got their hernia. Yeah, 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 it's from sneezing or coughing or getting out of bed incorrectly. I always tell people to roll to the side. Roll and put some, <laughs> brace yourself. Yeah, brace yourself. But effectively, it's not, it's normally a case of um, sort of not if it will happen, it's when. Yeah, no, 100%. And um, yeah, like you said, you know, hernia uh, belts, like you've got an incredible one that you've designed, mm -hmm. uh, bracing yourself, and probably initially after surgery, being mindful of heavy lifting, but then afterwards, probably essentially do what you want, live yeah. your life. And I think the what you said there about living your life is something that I feel the medical industry needs to get better at explaining yeah. to people because what they can do is they can tell patients not to eat certain things, not to do certain things. People like me will always push those boundaries and show them and prove them wrong that you can still do these amazing things. Like I've done skydives, I go yeah. swimming all the time, I do the gym six times a week, like I very yeah. much live my life. But some people, sadly, take that word as gospel and then they are imprisoned, even though they've had their surgery and they should be living their life, they are imprisoned with what they've been told. I think exactly. The thing is, it's a bespoke management for every patient. And you touched there on uh, uh, an important thing there, diet as well with stomas. Mm. How is your diet? Is it restricted in any way? No. So again, I kind of went against the grain mm. because when I left hospital, they gave me a pamphlet and it was like, you basically are going to be eating beige for the rest of your yeah. life. And I was like, from a health standpoint, 
all the minerals, vitamins, and everything that you get from certain foods are not within that palette. And I was like, this isn't sustainable. It affects my bone density, my development of muscle and everything. I was like, this can't be right. So the way that I done it, I pulled my diet right back. I started off with tinned pears, rice and chicken, plain. That's all I had. And I ate that for about two or three months. And then what I'd done is I introduced food very slowly back into my diet. And I just was very cautious about how my body responded. So I could eat something, it would be positive, it would be fine. I'd be like, okay, I'll try a little bit more. Um, And over the course of the years and years of doing that, I found that the things I have to be mindful of is chewing Mm. certain foods, um, making sure I use the chew 20 times kind of rule with certain foods. Um, I've also learned that um, very dense fibrousy foods are just not good for me that I need to stay away from them because they cause me like discomfort and blocking because the end of the stoma is very small. It's like the size of the end of my small finger. And it narrows over time as well. So all the food that you put in your mouth has got to go through that. It's got to come out of that hole. Um, So quite often I like empty my bag or I feel in my bag and I'm like, I can literally feel like a bit of sweet corn. Yeah, so it's important that I choose stuff. Otherwise, yeah. it quite literally comes out and it goes in. Yeah, so you're not <laughs> getting the nutrients from that. Exactly I that. I think um, the important point there is that, again, it's bespoke for the person. Yes. So if something works for you, it may not work for someone else. Like you've been brave in your choices, but you've been smart in the way you've done it. You've, yes. you know, you've added in things slowly. And that's what I would advise for anyone. Even, you know, people with uh, IBS sometimes ask me, I've been told I can't eat fibre you can. And in Mm -hmm. fact, you should eat fiber because your gut bacteria need it. But it's, you know, slowly and gently adding in things and seeing what works, what doesn't work. Um, I think as well, the best friend for a person who's got a stoma is the stoma nurse. It's not your surgeon who they can do operations. They can, you know, refashion your stoma, recite it, put it in a different position, fix your hernias, whatever. Great. They've done their bit. But the stoma nurse is the most underrated and the best friend of anyone with a stoma because they've got these little tips and tricks that no one else can teach you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I always say to people, make sure you've got good contact with these people. Um, But I also say to people, as well as the stoma nurses, talk to other patients. Yes. The power to the patient is something I'm a huge advocate of because they actually have lived experience of what works, what doesn't work. I think a lot of people aren't told at the beginning of their stoma journey the association between having a physical condition and your mental health. That right there is missing in terms of um, when I left hospital, I had no support and was never told by my surgeons, by my nurses, that this would really impact my mental health. And it knocked me for six when I first had my stoma fitted because I was alone. Everyone around me in the bowel ward was 50 years older than me and I had no one to relate to. And that's why I turned to social media because I was like, there's got to be other people experiencing what I'm experiencing now. How can I contact them? And just talk and that's been my biggest sort of uh almost like victory port, yeah victory yeah. and port of recovery has yeah. been talking to people and venting oh, yeah. how i'm feeling yeah it's a chronic condition and it's been known that chronic condition is linked with mental health issues as well mm-hmm. and you know it, it's a burden of dealing with that on a daily basis mm-hmm. um if i told you today that i could reverse your stoma would you want it reversed No. For me, people that want to get rid of a bag, quite often it's for the aesthetic. It's because 
physically, mentally, they can't handle having a bag on their body. Whereas for me now, it's just become part of my life. It's enabled me to be healthy and it's given me my life back. So I'm not willing to risk that. The pros don't outweigh the cons. So for me, this is all working for me right now. I'm not willing to risk it. No, I, I, I agree with that 100%. What do you do when you're sort of out and about on a plane, traveling, public spaces? Do people give you any sort of weird looks? Not only you having your stoma, but also the fact that this, you know, handsome, fit, young guy is just walked into the table toilets and then comes back out, you know, uh, and then thinking, what's this guy done? Yeah, so I guess, you know, it's a difficult one because when you live with an invisible condition, people associate disability quite often with a wheelchair. Something that's visual and you can see there and it's out in the open. And for a long time, and a lot of people that I speak to as well, they just don't go into disabled access facilities for that reason because they're worried about, you know, someone judging them or someone calling them out. The worst time I had it was about two months after I had stoma surgery and I was quite fragile I was very weak, so I was quite feeble in itself. And I was, at that time, like, not ashamed of it, but I was like, I didn't want people openly knowing I had a stoma at that point. And I went to use a disabled toilet in a big um, supermarket. Mm. And as I went into the toilet, one of the staff members shouted out, that's the disabled access toilet, across about eight or nine people. And I was like, yeah, I'm aware of that. And they were like, yeah, the, the gents' toilet's there. And I was like, well, I need this one. And they were like, well, it's a disabled toilet. And at that point, I was kind of like, I just went in there and closed the door and I actually had like, I was raging. I was like really upset, like almost in tears. I'm annoyed just listening to that. Yeah, and I thought, you know, for me, if that made me that upset and, you know, for the type of person that I am, I'm like a, you know, brush my shoulders off, right, let's just get on with it, that's fine. But for other people, that could have put them in a position where they were suicidal. If they didn't, if they hated and resented their stoma already, that is just pushing them over the edge. And no one should be judged or looked upon or frowned upon for using something that is essential for them. Yeah. And the disabled toilet for me is somewhere I can put my medical supplies out. Um, you know, I always have to carry a couple of spare bags with me, a spray, a bin bag, and I need to use the disabled facilities because it's more cleanly and it's just got more space. Yeah. So it's an essential usage point for me. And it's got better, but at the same time, people are still judgmental. Frankly, you know, I'm really pissed off hearing that. And I I don't think anyone should even stick their nose into what people are doing. Whether you have a disability or not, it shouldn't be your concern. And like you mentioned, invisible conditions, cancer, endometriosis, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, mm-hmm. rheumatoid arthritis, so many invisible conditions. There are probably more invisible conditions than visible ones, and you don't know what they're going through. And, mm-hmm. you know, your example of this invisible condition, I think, you know, in addition to these public toilets, having obviously fr- free loo roll, they should probably have some free, you know, stoma-related stuff as well. In addition to kind of, you know, feminine hygiene products, you know, tampons, because again, that is a biological need which 50% of the population will have. So why should they pay for it? But also there's a significant, huge population of people with stomas who may need a spare stoma bag, who may need a spray. And that's not a small percentage of people. There is a lot of people in the UK and the world with stomas. Should we also start keeping stoma supplies in public toilets? Absolutely. But the difficult thing we have here as well is, for instance, the government doesn't actually deem having a stoma 
yeah. as a disability. That's insane. Which I find crazy because I've had multiple times where I've been on the motorway, I've had to pull in to um, the service station and I need to park in a disabled bay because I have just shit on myself. Yeah. yeah, so because I can't get a blue badge, I can't park in that bay, I have to park halfway across the um, car park and I have to run across the car park with feces on me to go and use the disabled toilet. The fact that someone in my situation, even with that being said, can't get a blue badge, I find crazy. And the questions that you're asked are all around mobility. Yeah. My problem isn't mobility. You're not understanding my condition. They don't understand. Yeah. Uh, you know, I said um, on my Facebook page, because there was so much wrong in, in a lot of the healthcare sectors in this country, and from a doctor point of view, I have a ground level understanding of certain inadequacies and areas of improvement. I jokingly said... How do I become health secretary in the UK? And someone said the fastest route for me to become health secretary without going to politics, because I don't really enjoy that, no. um, would be the prime minister would have to recommend to the monarch, so King Charles, to make me a lord so I can get a seat in the House of Lords. Once I've got a seat in the House of Lords, I can be then appointed as a health minister. And then I can make all that happen. <laughs> yeah. Let's do this together. Let's do this. Uh, but Misha, I think there's a lot we can do together anyway to, you know, raise more awareness about stomas, bowel health, and you know, chronic conditions as well. And I know we're gonna we've got to work on some stuff together. But um, I just want to thank you for, you know, coming down, taking a time out of your busy influencer day, <laughs> yeah. and joining me here. Thanks, man. Mate, thank you for having me. Misha, before I let you escape. You've got a question for me. I have absolutely no idea what it is. Keep it clean or don't. I don't mind. Shoot, far away. How did you feel the first time in theatre when you put scalpel to skin? The first time I operated on a human being and I cut into a human legally. <laughs> all legally. It was all consensual, consensual and legal. I didn't feel anything, actually. And I don't know if that is some sort of psychopathic trait. They do say that when you're in a high-stress job, if you're a CEO, if you're a pilot, if you're in the military, if you're a surgeon, you know, you have psychopathic traits, mm -hmm. which are desirable. You know, you can keep calm in a stressful situation. So if there's major bleeding, you don't panic. You're like, okay, there's some bleeding there. Let me sort it out. Because you want to be calm then. You don't want to panic. So those are some psychopathic traits where a psychopath would also keep calm under pressure. Yeah. There's also some undesirable psychopathic traits. And there are some surgeons and people in everyday life who are psychopaths. So when I cut into humans and if I do surgery, I see bleeding even my very first surgery, I was thinking, this is cool. <laughs> I didn't think anything of it. I know people who have fainted just at the sight of blood, who faint in theatres, just seeing a bit of bowel. I had a med student recently who fell face first into an open abdomen, had a face full of intestines and organ juice. And <laughs> my boss just like yanked them out. It's like, get out, we're going to cause a wound infection. Didn't care about the student. <laughs> yeah. Get out. But when I, I was, my first ever surgery, like major-ish surgery, was uh, appendicectomy, removing someone's appendix. And I just thought, wow, I get to play with this fancy tool and do this kind of stuff. And at no point was I like, I'm cutting into someone and their life is in my hands. So I don't know what to say. Is that good or bad? I don't know. But I've never felt queasy or weird when I see shit, piss, vomit, blood, yeah. juice. I, I'm just thinking, wow, this is incredible. Fascinating. Thank yeah. you for answering it.
I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Misha. It certainly really brings to light how many people are out there that suffer with inflammatory bowel disease and chronic conditions. And maybe we need to be a bit more open and sensitive to, you know, what's going on in other people's lives as well. This is the bit that I'm really passionate about because there is so much garbage online. It's time to take out the trash and debunk those myths. Okay, so I've got this question a fair few times. Can Crohn's disease be caused by stress? If you've watched this episode, you're going to know that Crohn's disease is an inflammatory bowel condition and it's a type of autoimmune condition, which means there is some glitch in your immune system, which means that your own body, your own immune system fails to recognize its own cells and starts to attack it, which leads to inflammation, pain, bleeding from the bottom end, weight loss, and all of these nasty things which are associated with Crohn's disease. Now, while stress doesn't cause Crohn's disease, stress can actually exacerbate Crohn's disease and worsen some of the symptoms. And this is because stress is not just a psychological state, it's also a physiological one as well. When you are stressed, when you are anxious, you get changes to your heart rate, you get various hormones which are released, you can also get a change in your gut microbiome, and we know that a lot of the symptoms can be worsened in inflammatory bowel disease by an alteration in your gut bacteria or gut microbiome. You can go into dysbiosis. So these can be worsened. Those symptoms of Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, even irritable bowel syndrome can be worsened by stress. So actually trying to regulate your stress if you have inflammatory bowel disease or bowel issues can actually help with symptom control. I am constantly sent videos about this sort of stuff on TikTok. It is rife online, colonic hydrotherapy. Is that real? Do we need to flush out our colons from toxins and parasites? Absolutely no. This is a myth and a dangerous one as well. Your body has several organs which are self-cleaning and self-detoxifying. Your kidneys, your liver, and your colon as well. To emphasize my point as to why colonic irrigation and colon hydrotherapy is dangerous, I'm going to give you an anecdote of a patient and I'll change a few details. I had a patient a few years ago who presented with a hole in their bowel and they ended up needing emergency surgery and a stoma formed. The reason they had a hole in their bowel, it was an elderly patient, their bowel was slightly more thin as well. And they had gone to a colonic irrigation spa session where they had a basically a high-pressure jet of water insufflating their rectum. And this had caused a traumatic perforation, a traumatic hole in their bowel. And all the shit from the inside leaked outside. You don't need to be medical to know that shit leaking is not good. Now, if you feel you need colonic irrigation to relieve your constipation, there are other things you can do, increasing your fiber content, increasing your water content from the top end, not from the bottom end, and even simple things like laxatives. If these still don't work and you have chronic constipation, your first port of call should not be, hang on, let me put a jet spray of water up my ass. It should be to go to your doctor to find the underlying cause as to why you have constipation. 
Even if you have colonic irrigation and they clean out your intestines, that's not going to fix the root cause. The underlying cause of your constipation will still be there. And as I mentioned before, this is highly dangerous, not only because it can you know, cause risk of injury to the bowel, but also, you know, it can cause a shift in your electrolytes at the bottom end because you're pouring water into your intestines and this can change your electrolyte balance and that's also not good. Okay, guys, before we go, let's have one list of question. This week, it's from James in Nottinghamshire. James says, I work in a manual labor job outside all day in the UK in all weather conditions. One of my big concerns at the minute is the sun. I know the obvious protection, drinking water, sunscreen, using clothes to cover the skin, but as shade is not an option and I'm often sweaty and warm, what more can I do to stay protected in the sun? That is a really excellent question from James, particularly as the UK has been experiencing a heat wave over the last couple of weeks and this summer is gonna be baking hot and wherever you are in the world and if it's hot, you need to know how to keep yourself cool. So definitely James, you should keep drinking water because sweating is how we thermoregulate, how we regulate our internal body temperature. So if we can't sweat, then we can't reduce our body heat. So if you're very dehydrated, your sweating will be the, one of the first things to stop and then you'll just be like a pig who can't sweat and you'll overheat because pigs literally cannot sweat and they are prone to heat stroke. So don't be like a pig, drink water, stay hydrated so you can sweat and stay cool. And this next one might sound counterintuitive, but actually you should consider eating some spicy food. If you look at warmer countries around the world, India, Pakistan, places like that, they eat spicy food in very hot conditions because capsaicin, the you know, the active ingredient in spicy food, which gives us that chilly burning sensation, actually tricks our body into thinking that we're hot. So our body tries to counteract and compensate for that by cooling us down and vasodilating the blood vessels near the surface of the skin. So it helps to cool us off. So that's another little trick that you can do. And in addition to doing the things you're doing already, water, sunscreen, and shade, another thing you can do is specifically try to find shade that's green, so plant shade. Not only do plants provide a natural barrier and protection against the sun, but they also help to cool you down as biological natural air conditioners. So the leaves from plants actually release some of the humidity and moisture as part of their evaporative cooling. So it actually helps to cool you down when you're near trees and plants and shrubs. And with regards to clothing, you can actually buy specific UV protective clothing, which can also help as well. These may be expensive, but you can combine this with just covering those bare areas, particularly your head as well, which can heat up far more quickly as it's got a larger surface area compared to other parts of your body. James, thank you very much for that question. Very appropriate for the time of year. If you want to ask me a question, get in touch at the referralpod.com. And also, I'm going to tease you with another listener question because every week we're going to be dropping a new episode dedicated entirely to answering your questions called Crowd Science Extra. And guess what? The first episode of Crowd Science Extra is available right now. Just visit the referral show page on Apple Podcasts and hit try free to start your free trial today. You'll then unlock the extra episode which sits right under this one on the feed. In this week's extra episode, I'll be answering this question from Ordonny from New Jersey, exotic, and a lot more questions. 
Ordoni says, Hi Dr. Curran, I've started to hear my digestive system make noises in different places each time, and I can feel something happening there when it happens. Generally, it happens a few times each day. Now, do these noises mean something? I can't tell what's real and what's been caused by me thinking about what I may have. Is there a medical professional to go to with such an issue, and how would they check what's going on in there? I'll be answering that question in Crowd Science Extra. Go check it out straight after this episode. If you enjoyed that episode, make sure you hit the follow button so you can get weekly insights on how to improve your health on the referral with Dr. Curran. And I would love it if you left a review. Obviously, it's going to be five stars. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Referral. And just to say, I am a real doctor, but I'm not your specific doctor. So if you require any medical advice, any medical attention, please contact your local healthcare provider. And please remember, nothing on this show is intended to provide or replace specific medical advice that you would otherwise receive from your own healthcare provider. This has been a Sony Music production. Production management was Jen Mystery. Videos by Ryan O'Meara. Studio engineer, Matthias Torres. Music by Josh Carter. Grace Lakewood and Hannah Talbot were the producers. And Gaynor Marshall and Chris Skinner are the executive producers.